This is the Hospitality Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration only on MarketScale. Take out that travel guide and let's explore. Hospitality is a people industry. You don't want to take away that human element. The best technology has to be a seamless technology. So we have to find ways to be even more creative on, particularly when it comes to energy, water, and waste. You hire the kind of employee that's going to act like an owner, that's going to have that initiative. All right, welcome to the second episode of the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the show. We have a big show coming up for you with lots of great content that I think you're really going to enjoy. The first feature of the day is going to come from our correspondent, Sean Heath, and he's looking into cybersecurity in hotels. We're going to use a recent data breach uh, in a giant hotel chain as our launching off point for just looking into how are hotels trying to keep your data secure in a world where it feels like more and more of your data is always public and just available to the highest bidder. How are hotels trying to make sure that that doesn't happen in their chains? It's going to be a big topic and you know, when you go to a hotel, there's a safe there for you to put your, you know, your passport in or, you know, money or things like that. But are they being as secure with your data as you are being with your personal items that you don't want to be stolen or gone through or something along those lines? I think it's a big question to ask, and I think it's going to be a major topic of discussion going forward. And I think it's going to make uh, for a really, really good topic for this week's podcast as well. So that is the first feature of the day on this week's episode of the Hospitality Podcast. The second feature of the day is going to come in the form of an interview that I did with Monique Boyd, and she's the Director of Catering and Special Events at AT AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. That's where the uh, Dallas Cowboys play. They also host massive concerts and other big events. She's a really busy lady, and uh, we're going to take a look more into her profile. So who is she? How did she get to where she is right now? And how does she pull off some of these gigantic events that she pulls off on a regular basis? It's a really awesome conversation, and also she has an incredibly inspiring story that you're really not going to want to miss. A lot of overcoming various health concerns uh, and a complete change in 180 in career to end up where she is today. Just an amazing and inspiring story that you're going to want to hear. So make sure to stick around for that as well. That is the second feature on today's show. In between those two feature interviews is going to be a conversation with Robin Valls for our news analysis piece of today's show. She's going to talk about how restaurant design can affect how much noise takes place in a restaurant, which then affects how much you enjoy your experience. Uh, she will cite some, some recent studies that show that restaurant goers really do uh, get annoyed by sound inside of a restaurant. So if it's too loud, it affects how much money they spend, how much they enjoy their experience, and whether or not they're likely to go back. So there's a lot to discuss in there and probably a lot for us to learn when it comes to noise inside of a restaurant. So that's going to be the news analysis portion between those two feature interviews as well. But before we get to that, let us get to our cybersecurity feature today with our correspondent, Sean Heath, talking to Alex Suskind of Cornell University. On a daily basis, we see just fantastic new perks that show up when we go to our favorite hotel, our favorite restaurant. Everybody's always feels like they're just trying to give us free things, which is fantastic, except 
what we have to exchange for those free things is usually personal information. Maybe it's something as simple as this is the favorite appetizer this person buys or this person always likes a room with double king. Um, so that's an interesting trade-off, but there's a a whole plethora of responsibilities and anxieties that come along with that. One of those anxieties is, what do you do when that information that you have freely given in exchange for those perks, what do you do when that information is accessed by someone who shouldn't have their hands on it? What if someone hacks into the network or the database of that company that you trusted with your personal information. Well, today I have the pleasure of having a conversation with someone who actually knows quite a bit about both sides of that equation, and that is Dr. Alex Suskin. He's an associate professor at the School of Hotel Administration and a member of the Graduate Field of Communications at Cornell University's S.C. Johnson College of Business. Dr. Suskin, how are you today? Uh, Very well, thank you. Now, I have to say, um, there's... So much to unwrap in this, but this is going to be very short and direct. Let's say that you invited me to your house over the weekend. By the way, thank you for that. That was very kind of you. And uh, when I get there, you you know, you know tell me to go ahead and park my car in the garage. Oh, that's fancy. I like that. Um, and then we go and we barbecue. We hang out, whatever. And the next morning when we come out, my car has a huge dent in the front of it. And when I look at the odometer, it's got an extra 100 miles on it. Well, the only way that could have happened is if someone accessed your garage, took my car out, drove it around, maybe they got hit in a run, they bring it back and they put it in the garage. Now, as a guest in your home, I'm not going to say, Alex, that it's your fault because you were with me. You weren't in the garage. You didn't. You had nothing to do with that. But <clears throat> So it would be unfair for me to characterize that as your fault, but from a personal standpoint, I'm probably going to feel a little hesitant to hang out at your house again. And that's not entirely fair to you. Is that an accurate description of of sort of what we feel as customers when something like the Marriott breach happens? Well, sure. I mean, any time that your personal information is um, is compromised... You feel, um, you know, you feel cheated. And uh, it's the same thing if your house is burglarized or, uh, you know, any time that you experience a a loss. All of those things uh, have a a pretty great uh, impact on your on your perceptions and your feelings. Um, It's a it's a difficult uh, it's a difficult thing to to experience as, as a consumer or as a guest. Now, in your MBA, when you were when you were working on that, you actually focused on the personal relationships, the um, customer service provider interaction, uh, personnel and human relations. So you really know a lot about the psychological aspect of this industry. And I'm curious as to your thoughts on there. Obviously, there's an increase in responsibility that the companies have when we give them this information. But on a customer side, we have to decide what we're willing to trust people with. It's a, a hotel can't take information from us that we don't give to them. So we're a partner in this and it seems like partnership is the right that's the right description of that relationship, right? Of course, it, it's a partnership. <clears throat> it's an exchange. Well, when we exchange uh, oh, let me ask you this then. When do we get to the point where the value of what we receive for the exchange of the idea we give them, when does that balance out and not become worth it for us as customers anymore? 
Well, I, my guess is that it, it really varies for each each person that you're willing to tolerate particular things, experience particular things. Uh, you know, just, uh, you know, the example that you gave of your, your car being stolen, um, dial it back a little bit to something maybe a little bit more simple. When you sit in a restaurant and you order a dish that you don't really care for, um, you sat down, you ordered, you went through the whole process, you ordered something and you didn't really care for that dish. Well, um, it doesn't really matter whose fault it is. It, you're in you're in a restaurant. You're getting something that you, you you didn't like or didn't expect, and it's really up to the restaurant to work with the consumer, uh, the guests, to uh, you know to figure out what they can do and and how they can make things uh, better or right. And that's true with anything. A, a data breach, um, as you as you alluded to, it, you know, it, it, it is similar. It's it's. I think it's a, di- a slightly different problem, but it's it's a similar problem where you have a trust that's formed between uh, it's a it's, it, uh, you know an exchange that's formed between a, a business and 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 a, and a customer, and that's that's an important uh, it's an important relationship that has to be properly cared for. Now, up to this point, I've just been speaking from the customer side. Let's go to the other side of the check-in desk because. In the hospitality industry, when you accept that information and that trust from your customers, that puts a lot of that's a lot of pressure on you as well. Because at some point, what you're giving that customer in exchange for that information is going to outweigh the value of the information you get from the customer. So there's is there a chance that the personal information can regain a value to make it worthwhile to the hospitality industry to continue to go out and try and get it is there is there a a point where you start getting that law of diminishing returns where it's just not worth it to to get that extra information well so i don't think we've gotten to the point yet where the information um doesn't have value for for the companies i think uh we're at a point where we're we're trying to deal with ways that we can efficiently uh, collect and safeguard this information, and it's really a matter of uh, having the right safeguards in place and figuring out how to make sure that when you do have information, you you take that uh, that that information and and you safeguard it as as a steward as you would for uh, you know for any other valuable resource that you have. You don't leave your cash register drawer open or unattended. Uh, you, you safeguard it. There's a lock on it. It doesn't mean that people aren't going to try to steal things, but you have to be proactive in figuring it um, safe. And that's really – it's the job of the business, but it's also the job of the, of the consumer too to make sure that um, they, they also behave in a way that, that allows their data to be safe. What potential changes do you think could be made in that transaction that – will either change the way we manage that interaction between customer and and hotel or customer and restaurant does the transaction have to change or is it just the attention to detail that we need to change so you know the way the way i look at it is that any system that you create has to has to have checks and balances built into it and so when these deep when these data breaches happen it's not because a company doesn't have the right uh, 
uh, intention. It's not because the company, uh, you know, set out to, to have this happen. It's that people are preying on these companies um, because they can. And ultimately, I think what has to happen is that systems need to be created that, that provide some type of failsafe uh, for uh, for the companies. And just, uh, you know, another example is that uh, Experian uh, data breach. Uh, I saw a commercial on television the other day that they're there to keep your data safe. They'll, the, you can su- subscribe to this uh, service and they'll protect your, your data for you. Well, they were breached uh, not not long ago. So there has to be some mechanism in place that puts a, a, a higher, uh, I guess, priority on, on safeguarding and keeping these things safe to make sure that these things uh, can't happen. Um, and ultimately, again, it goes back to locks keep honest people honest. If you have a lock on something, um, honest people uh, will, will respect that. It's the it's the it's the folks that uh, that are looking. Uh, that it's the criminals ultimately uh, that don't respect that. That are looking for ways to get in. And so, again, being able to safeguard your your information and your data, I think, is is really important. And and the other thing is also um, what type of information you ask. We may have to be careful and making sure that we um, that we may limit some of the information that we get from consumers uh, I I got a call this uh, was it Saturday uh, one of my credit cards was uh, uh, the number was stolen I have no idea how that happened uh, when when it happened but <clears throat> the credit card company was on it they saw in a regular purchase and they shut my card down I, I uh, have a new one waiting for me when I get home today. Um, so ultimately there has to be some process put into place that companies will buy into that will allow them to just pay maybe greater attention to these things and recognize not going to be able to prevent everything from happening, but the idea is uh, prevent as much as you can and be really responsive, uh, once you realize that a problem has, uh, has emerged. You mentioned the Experian uh, breach, and I find it really ironic that a company who had all my personal data now wants me to pay them to better protect that personal data that they didn't protect, as I think was probably the initial unspoken understanding is, oh, you have my data. Well, sure, I guess you'll protect it. That, I thought that was very weird. So let me ask you one more question. Um, you know, there's a recent trend in the hotel industry, uh, specifically with the older roadside motels, sort of going back to the hipster, uh, what I like to call the analog age of hospitality. Do you think we could get to a point where as as wonderful as computers are, that there are certain aspects of businesses that they'll just go back to, you know, pen and paper in, 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 in an attempt to be more secure? Uh, well, you know, I think the risks associated with, um, with, with breaches uh, wouldn't be solved with going back to pen and paper because the pen and paper can be taken just like the, 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 the data. Um, it's certainly harder uh, to, to get a larger uh, database when you have one hotel's ledger. But um, but that being said, uh, I think that the the the, the problem isn't going to go away regardless of how we how we go forward. The, I think the issue is finding ways to to just be better at managing 
the data and putting processes in place that that make it more difficult for people to uh, you know to to make these breaches because uh, you really only need one dishonest person who's you know who's willing to you know take a data stick into a place where they shouldn't have it and download files and there's really nothing that you can do to prevent that uh, unless you have really good encryption you have really good um, uh, you know security and, and and a bunch of other things that uh, that make that that theft um, um, less valuable so you have to take the uh, I guess the value away from the the potential to steal the information. And I, I just one additional thing that popped up into my head. I would imagine that because of the of the close partnership and relationship that Marriott has with the hotel school there, um, I would imagine when you heard well, about that, I breach, feel that your heart I feel that any time I bit. hear it, um, the the data breach that happened at Home Depot. I'm a Home Depot customer. Uh, anytime, um, anytime something like this happens, I don't I don't necessarily uh, you know blame the company. Uh, and, I mean, unless we can prove that the company was negligent somehow. Uh, generally speaking, you know, all of these firms are trying to do the best they can to serve their customers and provide their customers with value. And creating loyalty programs, collecting information, having you know, customer and guest data um, is one way that that um, that these companies are, are trying to do that. And so the idea is that they have to, you know, they they have to be better at um, uh, at managing this. I don't um, I don't blame Marriott. Uh, I mean, unless we find out that they it was their fault specifically, I think they um, roughly. Um, um, you know, they were taken advantage of by a thief. These are your hospitality news minutes brought to you by MarketScale. Today's younger generations prefer experiences over material items. A study by Harris Group found 78% of millennials prefer experiences and events over buying something desirable. 77% say some of their best memories come from these experiences. Luxury hotels are paying attention to this shift toward experiences. Trivago's business blog writes that a rising trend in luxury hotels is to help guests have a transformative travel experience. In other words, guests want to walk away feeling changed by their stay. They want to discover not only parts of the world, but also themselves. Forbes writes that research by Marriott International confirms this trend. The company is further investing in these transformative experiences. Marriott says it wants to create greater customer loyalty by connecting travelers with other like-minded travelers. One example includes networking guests with local artists and musicians instead of giving a traditional art tour. Marriott is also offering experiences such as VIP access to the US Open Tennis Championship with their rewards program. Other hotels are offering guests opportunities to help the local community or assist in conservation efforts. And while experiences are trending upward, so are hospitality wages. The caterer writes that UK independent job site CV Library found average salaries for new hospitality jobs have increased by 38%. It compared data from November 2018 to the same period in 2017 across 10 key industries, including accounting and construction. Hospitality saw the greatest growth rate. The drinks business reports CV Library also found hospitality workers to have the fastest growing pay packets compared to other sectors in the UK. From 2016 to 2017, hospitality wages increased by 
more than 10%. CV Library founder Lee Biggins says job uncertainty and a labor shortage has caused businesses and hospitality to offer more to attract the best talent. Some owners have addressed the labor shortage by hiring workers without legal residency. The Chicago Tribune reports 1.3 million hospitality workers in the U.S. are undocumented immigrants. Other owners are utilizing federal jobs and skills development programs to find workers. But not only are hospitality wages increasing, U.S. hotel occupancy rates are increasing as well. Hotel market firm STR found three key performance metrics improved year over year. It compared 2018 data from the end of November to the same period in 2017. After comparing these two periods, SCR found occupancy rose by 1% to 57.3%. The average daily rate was up by 2.2% to $120.23, and revenue per available room was up by 3.3% to $68.93. Hospitality Net reports that of the top 25 U.S. markets, San Diego saw the best growth in this period. Boston and San Francisco also saw sizable increases, while Houston and Orlando saw decreases in some, or in Houston's case, all of the three metrics. 16 of the 25 markets reported growth in revenue per available room. Overall, 2018 has been a strong year for hotel occupancy rates. Statistica reports U.S. rates were at their highest in seven years in January, March, May, June, and October 2018. I'm Sam Mosier, and these have been your Market Scale Hospitality Minutes. Thank you for those news minutes there, Sam. All right, coming up next on the show is that news analysis portion with Robin Valls, and we're going to talk about noise inside of a restaurant. And we've all had that experience where you go into a place and it's just too loud. It's ambient noise, it's discussion, but it's also music is too loud. There's an air conditioning going that just goes along and adds to all of the noise that's happening around you. And it can really be a disruptor of your experience. If you're not able to hear the people that you're there with, you know, as you try to have conversation or something along those lines, or it's hard for you to order because the waiter can't hear you and you can't hear them and you can't understand what they're saying when they're reading you the specials, all of those sorts of things. That has an impact on your experience and whether or not you enjoy your time at a particular establishment. And I think that that's a really big deal. So we're going to look into that today uh, with Robin Valls, who's written a really interesting article on it that you can read as well. We will link to it in the show notes for today's episode. So without further ado, let's get to that news analysis portion of the show with Robin Valls coming up next. All right, so we're joined by Robin on the podcast. Robin has been working on an article, and it's called, Is the Design of Your Favorite Restaurant Affecting Your Taste Buds? Robin, it's great to have you on the podcast, giving your insight on this article you're working on. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, yeah. You know, we like blending the worlds of writing and podcasting, so it's always great to get one of our network writers up on the podcast, uh, you know, giving us some insight on what they're working on. So, Robin, tell me a bit about this article you're putting together, because honestly, this is something that affects me very personally. Uh, I do a lot of music and creative recording in my free time, and let me tell you, the problems of having flat tinny walls haunts me to this very day and always looking for acoustic solutions to make that room a little a little softer a little warmer is always on my mind and it's interesting to see that as design has been more minimal this 
problem of louder restaurants has really surfaced. So tell me a bit about what you saw as you were putting this article together. What really stood out to you? Well, we all know that atmospheres of the utmost importance in a restaurant, you know, that can include lighting, artwork, spacing, music, and of course the noise level. And since restaurants are a shared social experience with the table acting as, you know, the core, uh, people gather around it and want to talk to each other and connect. But with, you know, the upsurge in minimalist decor, um, these are hard surfaces, you know, if it's granite tabletops, concrete floors, uh, windows without curtains, and a sound tends to, to reverberate off of these uh, these surfaces, these hard surfaces. And it can make a restaurant louder than it regularly is. I mean, in my <laughs> explorations of this article, um, I found very, very uh, many trends that are, you know, I, I don't know how to say it, but are uh, leaning towards noises being the most irksome element of dining out. Um, in 2015, uh, it was, noise was put right behind service. In 2018, it's even higher than service now. Noise is the most irksome complaint that uh, restaurant goers have. That's really interesting. It, it, it's weird to see that um, I guess <laughs> this problem must have really become exacerbated in the last few years for people to say, you know, even if service is kind of crappy, I'd at least like it to be quiet and for me to be able to conduct a conversation with, you know, my family or my friends. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, I know that, some, you know, some restaurants are looking for a, a more of a upbeat hip vibe, so they don't mind the loudness, and people usually know when they go to those establishments, they're probably going to have to talk louder to be overheard. But when you're going to a restaurant with your family or, you know, on a date or something like that, you're going to have more intimate conversations at lower voices, and, you know, you want to be heard. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, um, I, another thing that I found out that I didn't actually put in the article, but um, there was a, a Consumer Reports article, and it lists probably about 10 to 12 different restaurants, including like um, Dave and Buster's, uh, the Hard Rock Cafe, Rainforest, Texas Roadhouse. And in each of these, uh, there's probably only three of these restaurants that excessive uh, noise levels was not the highest complaint. Hmm. So um, it's apparently it's a, it is a trend for most dining out experiences at this point that noise levels are, you know, too excessive. I, I totally see why it's an issue. And I mean, as uh, design trends go in one direction, you know, I don't think the unintended consequences were thought of, you know, as as they are referenced, you know, unintended consequences. I don't think people were planning on this being an issue. And so now that it is, it's time to find ways to uh, remedy this. So, yeah, I think acoustic engineering is very important, especially in a public place like this. So, you know, having spaces that are a little more curved, having, um, you know, maybe some design that is blended into the walls that doesn't immediately look like your traditional, you know, sound acoustic treatment, but 
serves the same purpose, you know, could be the way that design starts to go, especially in places like hotels, restaurants, um, other public spaces, government buildings even. Um, so yeah, what were some of the solutions that you found while doing your research on this article? Well, um, there are quite a several uh, different like do-it-yourself tricks that, you know, people, you know, restaurant owners can do themselves before hiring somebody um, that would, you know, include like keeping machinery away from dining areas, you know, including like espresso machines and and things like that. I mean, just the littlest appliance could uh, can affect noise levels. Um, Also, HVAC systems that may need some repair that are running too loudly and can be heard groaning and moaning in the background. Um, Another thing was to install carpet in your high traffic areas, you know, like a bar area or in front of the kitchen or in the lobby. Um, That will help mute excess reverberation. And then I know because of design trends, people aren't really into curtains or heavy drapes anymore. Well, even the thinnest drapes can help affect a restaurant's sound quality because sound does reverberate off hard glass windows. And then again, another design or a decor uh, trick is to add tablecloths. I mean, even in an industrial type restaurant, you could, they have, you know, different options for tablecloths now where they're more like runners as opposed to a full, you know, tablecloth with all the pleats that hang down on each side. But, you know, or um, just, you know, it will help reduce the clanking of of utensils, glassware, plates, you know, tablecloths will help in that way, at, as well as absorb some sound from the ambient area. One other thing I wanted to mention is that, you know, not only does this affect the people that go to restaurants, but, you know, excess noise in an atmosphere where you work, like waiters and cook staff, if they're sitting there hearing this all day long, this can definitely have a a, a, a damaging effect on their hearing. So. It, it's it's something that's not only affecting restaurant growers, it's in fact affecting staff members as well. And yeah, that's something that definitely needs to be thought of because the modern workspace is continuing to evolve on a day-to-day basis. Um, everyone is looking for a collaborative space. They're looking for beautiful aesthetic spaces. And sometimes that means more glass. And well, glass is flat and reverberate sound pretty brutally. So it's going to be an interesting progression as design continues to stay in this minimalistic and really sleek sort of field, um, you know, how do we maintain the comfortability of the actual space that we're eating, working, or living in? So yeah, thank you so much, Robin, for coming on the podcast and giving us your insight on this article. Everyone can find it on MarketScale's hospitality page. You should definitely give it a read. It's a good one. All right. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks again to Robin Valls for joining the show today and for giving us her insight on that particular topic. Thank you to my colleague Daniel for conducting that interview as well. Coming up next is our feature interview with Monique Boyd. She's the director of catering and special events at AT AT&T Stadium. And I'll be honest with you, when I first thought that we should get her on the show, I just wanted to get her on to talk about how she feeds Thanksgiving dinner to all of the people that come to AT&T Stadium for the annual Thanksgiving Day game where the Dallas Cowboys play every season. It's just a tradition. It's part of uh, what they do in the NFL is that the Cowboys play every Thanksgiving. 
Well, I wanted to hear from her as the director of catering. How does she cater so many meals to important people that are there on Thanksgiving Day? But the more I began to read about Monique, the more that I realized that she's a really special individual that's had to overcome a lot of hardship in life and and overcome a lot of obstacles to get to where she is. And so then I thought, you know what, this is a feature interview uh, where it needs to be a profile piece about who she is, how she got to where she is, and highlights the work that she does on a regular basis. So, So that's what this interview is. I hope you find it enjoyable and inspiring as I did and I think you're really really going to enjoy it so coming up next is my interview with Monique Boyd the director of catering and special events at AT AT&T Stadium Okay, joining me now on the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast is Monique Boyd. She's the Director of Special Events and Catering at AT&T Stadium with Legends. That's the home of the Dallas Cowboys. Monique, thank you so much for joining me on the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited. Well, we are very happy to get to talk to you, and you have a really uh, inspirational story, to say the least. Uh, You've battled back from uh, a thyroid disease that left you in a coma back in 2000. How did you go from uh, that point in your life to where you are now, where you're running catering and special events at uh, one of the most state-of-the-art, biggest stadiums in the world? It was was a battle. It was a battle and an eye-opening experience, and I think anytime you face a health challenge and a life-threatening health challenge, you... You really try to focus on, you know, since you have this opportunity to be well and to move forward and, and to want to uh, to move forward and to, you know, you get a second chance at life. I decided that, hey, I didn't want to sit behind, you know, a desk or doing sales, the things that I didn't want to do. I really wanted to focus on things that I love to do because obviously, you know, the, God had given me an opportunity of having a second chance at life. And um, I had, <laughs> surprisingly, um, I had been in sales, customer service, HR, and I was sitting at a computer. At, I was actually working for a trader publication at the time, selling computer ads, believe it or not. I had I sold computer ads. I sold printing. I was sold commercial cleaning. And I was at my computer one day, and they had talked about laying the company off. And I thought, okay, what can you do for the next 20 years that's, you know, that can make you happy? And I was actually 36 years old, believe it or not. And I said, you know, I'd always been the person that always volunteered to help with a wedding or um, and any of the companies I worked for, I always volunteered to help with the company parties or I was my um, prom planner in high school. So I kind of always have planning in me. And I thought, you know, I want to do something I want to do every day. And so I want to be an event planner. And I thought, okay, I had to start at the bottom, which I knew. Um, So I actually made my resume into an invitation and I figured at least at best, I've always been pretty creative that if I mailed it in the mail, somebody would open it up and say, like, oh, my God, who is this nut, you know, with this non-traditional resume? And um, I made a list of 10 places that I wanted to work. I had no idea if they were hiring. I did. Um, and I had a love of sports primarily. Um, I'm from Los Angeles, so I couldn't say that I was like a Cowboys fan or a, a Mavericks fan or what have you. But. I knew that I was, uh, you know, I loved doing sports. So I made a list of the Cowboys, um, the Rangers. I think it was the Mavericks at the time, some high-end hotels. And at the time, every interview that I had said, you don't have back-of-house experience. You know, you're, you know, really nice and you're really creative, but you don't know how, you don't know the operation of it. And the one place that called me back was the ballpark in Arlington at the time, which, which is now Globe Life Park. Um, sports service was looking for a coordinator and I was 36 years old, divorced, a single parent. And I basically went from having a salary position 
with a commission to an hourly wage. And I thought, I don't, what was, I thought I was crazy, but I, you know, I remember getting an email from a girlfriend of mine that said, you have to take this opportunity. It was the, it was the, it was scary, but it was the best thing that I could have done for my career. Just, I started all over again and I had to learn from the bottom, you know, doing payroll and learning what it meant to do an event order or learning how operations work from the food service side. And I did it working at the ballpark and it was, um, it was it was an amazing it was an amazing experience because at the time I kind of learned kind of back of house. I also worked as a suite attendant um, for some of the um, for some of the uh, games that came up, and really learning the back of house really helped a lot. And then after about a year, um, one of the chefs said to me, "Monique, why don't you try working at a hotel?" Because after baseball season, it kind of died down a little bit. And I said, "Well, they didn't have um, they didn't have." A, uh, uh, they told me I didn't have enough experience. And he said, well, why don't you try again? And sure enough, um, that whole year at the ballpark really made a, a difference in my career because a lot of the hotels that basically told me no um, were now like, okay, that year, you know, working with the Rangers really opened up some opportunities. So I became a catering manager and kind of worked my way up through the hotels and um, and um, worked at the Dallas Museum of Art. Became That was my first director position. And then which led me to here. That's just really incredible because not only is it a story of overcoming, you know, health obstacles and things like that, but it's also one where you saw what you want and you did whatever it took to to get to that point. Um, And that's what's just so amazing and inspiring about it to me. And I'm curious just how you share that passion and that drive with the people that you work with now, you know, your employees, your staff. How do you share that same uh, infectious energy that you have? Well, you know, I, they get on me all the time because I literally answer every single LinkedIn, every LinkedIn email or post or somebody sends me, I always reply back because all I remember is um, it is someone that uh, gave me an opportunity. And so I encourage people to come and shadow with us if you're interested in that. And, it's, and every single time somebody says, oh, Monique, we have somebody shadow on us again. I just remember them um, saying well, remember when you shadowed with us and, you know, I'm, and I almost, I kind of see the underlings in a lot of people, you may not have like the day-to-day experience of, you know, do you know, you know, how many ounces it takes, you know, for when you serve a steak or, or, but if you typically have, you know, drive kind of the dedication, you have to really kind of love being in this industry because you give up, you know, your weekends, you give up certain holidays um, and you have to generally like your job. I mean, I've hired two people that are straight out of college and knowing after about a year, you can kind of see on somebody's face, either this is for you or it's not. And and, and it's okay. If you come to me and say, Hey, Monique, this has been great, but I kind of don't think this is for me. Well, let's sit down and talk about, you know, how can I help you connect with where you want to go? Um, you know, I had one intern that ended up being a firefighter, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, and, uh, but his passion after he left here, he, he worked in some different industries um, but I wrote a recommendation letter for him that when he became a, a candidate with the fire department, um, I, one of our interns now has an ex- wants to get into marketing. And I thought, well, we've worked with some marketing companies. Why don't I connect you? So it's really kind of, you know, I don't I try not to hold on to people just based on bodies. But knowing that experience wise, you know, the same way that I kind of grew in my career, everybody has their niche to do certain things. Um, and I and I and I promote a lot from within as well too. A lot of our operations team 
or here as an initial servers or working part time. And you kind of see that driving people. And I really just like giving people an opportunity because once you do that, you know, and I and try not to micromanage, um, you know, obviously you set the expectations, but give them an opportunity to really grow and see where it can go. And I had someone had been at the stadium almost six years and a position came up with another company for her to do direct events. And we cried during our conversation because I knew it was her time to go. And she's uh-huh. flourishing so, so well right now. And, that, and that's what you really want to see. Yeah, absolutely. And th- that's that's what's so incredible about what you what you do is that you're able to uh, help springboard people's careers just because of your particular uh, story and how you kind of came into the industry. Uh, so you mentioned holidays and giving up holidays. And I want to get into that a little bit because part of working at AT&T Stadium and working for the Cowboys means that you work every Thanksgiving serving more Thanksgiving meals than uh, probably the rest of us listening combined. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that. How do you begin the process and how do you prepare for serving Thanksgiving dinner to uh, to so many people that come to AT&T Stadium every Thanksgiving? Let me tell you, Thanksgiving literally was my favorite holiday when I was growing up. I mean, I really enjoy spending time with my family, everything. And it's the one thing I remember in the interview process that someone says and that we repeat back, you know, um, unfortunately, you know, it's not unfortunate. It's a great experience, but if you do take this position, you will work on Thanksgiving. And so um, the preparation portion of it, um, not only do we, there's 80,000 fans in the building, but you have the media, you have the visiting team, you have, you know, the Cowboys itself, all the Cowboys staff, it's all their Thanksgiving holidays as well. So you really want to try to make things extra special, you know, for them. We do... um, we have over 200 individual catering orders on game day. And, and, and so primarily what happens is we really kind of start primarily with the staff because obviously the staff has to be here. Generally it's about a three o'clock kick. So you have staff, some of the pastry kitchen people are here at four o'clock in the morning. So, you know, we do have an employee where we set up for the employees where they come in, they can grab coffee, have some you know treats. And then we also do Turkey box lunches for them because they are missing out on, they are missing out on their um, on their families as well, too. So we want to make sure that they're OK. Um, and then primarily it just kind of starts with all the internal departments are sent pretty much a menu that they can choose from. And then um, the clubs, the chef works, you know, tirelessly trying to figure out how do you be creative with turkey dressing and still have the staples of kind of, a, you know, a, a, a Thanksgiving meal. But, you know, kind of maybe put a twist on it because some of our specialty clubs, in private clubs, you know, guests can have, you know, a, a turkey if they were just going to any special restaurant. But do you, you know, do you do you um, bacon wrap something or do you put the um, do you make your sweet potatoes in, you know, um, in some special like, uh, you know, crusted or something like that? Or or, you know, or imagine obviously taking uh, somebody would have a deviled egg, but we'll make it a quail egg with lobster on it just to make sure it has that extra kick. Um, and then primarily we, we do meet quite a bit. I mean, we have to go over the operations of, I have five operations managers and then there's seven catering managers that work. And we actually meet as a team to go over. Now that you have all this additional catering, we have to make sure we have enough equipment in house, um, you know, chafing dishes and things like that. So the rentals and all these other things kind of start about a month ahead of time. And then as the weeks come down, um, we just kind of start crossing things off the list. And on top of Thanksgiving, the Jones family and the Cowboys host the Salvation Army. So 
There's also a private lunch for the Salvation Army. And then we also have to host the Salvation Army um, um, volunteers and staff in another uh, service area as well. Um, so we just we stack up on staffing and we, we really make sure that we are pretty much overstaffed. And the good thing is we have such a long history of people that, that have worked here, that have the experience. We just make a lot of good notation and then it just it seems to it, it works from there. But it's a it's a labor of love. If you go into the kitchen and see that they're making, I think we made over 5,000 mini pies. We had 7,000 pounds of turkey. I mean, if you really get tired of, you know, at some point you're like, okay, turkey again. But uh, but it's a staple. And so chef actually has to go in and they place their orders, you know, quite ahead of time with the purveyors. And, and, and on top of everything we do for Thanksgiving, there's always entertainment. So year to year, you'll have an A-list celebrity that will be performing that that is also away from home on Thanksgiving. And so um, we've had some we've had a, 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 um, a local person who is an A-list celebrity that's from the Dallas area. She wanted to have her grandmother's cooking in here at the stadium. So we kind of morphed some of her grandmother's recipes and had, you know, them in a suite for her as well. So, you know, you have to be sensitive to. Yes, it is the holiday. Um, and, and also, you know, with the staff, um, you know, just make sure that they're appreciated as well and just really make sure that you just have a love and appreciation, not only for it being Thanksgiving, but for the love of seeing a lot of turkeys and apple pies. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And I, I think that's, that's great that you guys put that kind of personal touch on it. I think that's really, uh, encouraging and, uh, and really awesome to see. And I, I guess I'm curious, you know, you guys are associated with AT&T and with the Dallas Cowboys and with the Jones family. Uh, you know, brands that are associated with excellence and with a high standard. So how do you hold yourself to that standard and how do you hold yourself, your staff to that standard of uh, just knowing that you're associated with brands that uh, people do associate with great service and with, you know, the best possible products? I would say it, it starts at the top and that's the one thing that if everybody has to buy into it. So if the if the organization meeting the Cowboys and obviously the owner the ownership, there's a certain expectation that they have to represent the brand and legends, legends itself, um, legends itself uh, has that obligation as well too. And so the managers, you know, it kind of starts with you know, say I'm walking through the stadium and there is a chair at a place and there's something on the floor, I pick it up myself. And that's something that if you're a staff or you are employees to you doing it, you do the same. They do exact. They do the same exact thing. They kind of feed off of the energy. So I think that, and it most definitely starts if there's certain level. There's a certain level of expectation that um, that we you know hold a lot of pride into. And you know, and, and for someone like me, um, I still write a thank you note every visiting team that comes here, and they call and say they have to have you know we do. A, a post-game order for them. Of course, they get here. The Cowboys provide, you know, basic protein sandwiches, you know, beverages, um, you know, fruit things in the locker room that are standard. But then the teams also place a to-go order where they have to eat on the buses before they board their planes. And and I've been here six years. Every every week I write the thank you note to whoever my contact is with the team because my job is obviously not to win or lose on the field, but it's to make sure that, you know, guests walk away with the best experience level when they leave here, no matter what team that, you know, we're on. So it was odd that just after six years, I got a response back um, a few weeks ago from the Redskins. And he said, you know, Monique, I always appreciate your note. He said, even though, you know, it was the outcome on the field wasn't what we expected, but, you know, it's good to know because, you know, they're rivals. I mean, 
the the team and ownership they handle their own responsibilities but if it's my responsibility because we're in such a public view a public form to um to represent the organization that's what I'm paid to do. And so you have to make sure that you have other people that buy into it as well, too. I mean, I mentioned before, I wasn't necessarily a Cowboys fan. I didn't know a lot of the history before I worked here. But, you know, I um, but I didn't actually realize how many fans that have a love for the Cowboys until, you know, I walk around and I go out of town and I have on a Cowboys jersey or a hat. I mean, a shirt or a hat that people kind of gravitate towards that. So it, it was a learning opportunity for me as well, too. That's awesome. Yeah, I love seeing just how you lead by example in that way. And that's uh, that's really incredible. And your story is amazing. And it's been awesome to get to talk to you uh, for these past 15 or so minutes. That is Monique Boyd, the director of special events and catering at AT&C Stadium with Legends. Monique, thank you so much for taking some time out to talk to us today. Oh, great. No problem. That is all we have time for in this week's episode of the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast. Thank you to all of our guests who have joined us for today's episode, to Alex Suskind, to Robin Valls, and to Monique Boyd. Thank you for their contributions for today's show. Thank you to my colleagues, Sean Heath, Sam Mosier, and Daniel Littman for helping out with this one as well. We'll be back with another episode of the Market Scale Hospitality Podcast shortly. But in the meantime, if you enjoyed this episode, there's more content just like it over at marketscale.com. Head over that way, browse around, find some more interesting content that you enjoy. And also feel free to share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, other people in the industry, anyone that you think would enjoy it. We would certainly appreciate that as well. I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. Until next time, 